you to grab your Bibles and um, if you don't have your Bibles, maybe you've at least got a cell phone that you can download a Bible on, go to your app store, and um, uh, unless you're still one of them old flip phone guys, I don't know, you may be, but um, if you've got a regular phone, um, you download an app. I want you to be able to stay along with me in this this morning. Um, I believe if you'll stay along with me, you won't get too bored, but um, this morning I, I have to do some teaching. It is vital for me to help you understand a passage in Daniel for you to really get what we're fixing to be in in Revelation. And so um, this morning, if you have your Bible or you have an app on your phone, go to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We will hopefully be back in Revelation chapter 6. We'll see if we get through this. And we're going to read verses 24 through 27. Daniel chapter 9, we'll read verses 24 through 27. And when you get there, one more time this morning, would you stand again and um, let's give reverence to reading the Word of God. Just a very quick background before I read this to you. Daniel and Israel have been in Babylonian captivity for quite a while now. Daniel has been taken as a child. He was a very young teenager probably whenever he was taken and um, he was put in the king's court to be raised up under the, under the Babylonian rules to learn their language, to become one of them. And now here they are. Daniel's an older man and he's been reading in the book of Jeremiah where God had told Jeremiah after 70 years are completed, I'm going to come in and I'm going to basically destroy Babylon. I'm going to punish them. And I'm going to free the people of Israel. And so Daniel is reading this now and he knows that the time is close. And so in the first part of chapter 9, he's praying and he's asking God, God, please don't forget your covenant. Please don't forget the word that you said. We're coming up on 70 years. It's getting close. Please forgive us of our sin. And he starts confessing the sins of the nation of Israel. And he just begs God. He says, God, please have mercy on us and remember your everlasting love for us and deliver us from this and forgive us of our sins and bring us back to the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. And then God sends His angel Gabriel to give Daniel this message that in response to your prayer, I'm going to bring the nation of Israel back. There's going to be an everlasting kingdom. I am going to forgive your sin. I'm going to make atonement for everything that's done, but it's going to take some time. And so this is where he got what God tells Daniel in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Now basically, you need to read this like this. Seventy weeks of years. Seventy weeks of years. This word weeks comes from a Hebrew word that can be translated weeks as in seven days or weeks as in a, a sevens. So if you were to read this in Hebrew, it may sound something like this. Seventy sevens are decreed about your people. And what he is saying here is that seventy weeks of seven years is what's decreed about your people. So we're going to have to do a little math, alright? Stay with me. So 70 weeks of years are decreed about your people and your holy city. And here's the purpose of the 70 weeks. To finish the transgression, 
to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. That's the whole purpose of the 70 weeks, alright? Keep reading. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of the Anointed One, or the Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and its sanctuary. And its end shall come, and you can read this, like a flood, as swift as a flood. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are already decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Remember, we're talking about weeks of years, right? So seven years. He shall make a covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, 3.5 years, he shall put an end to all sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on, all, on the desolator. You can be seated. And as you're seated, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I come to you this morning because, um, Lord, this is your word. This is your language. And Father, I pray this morning that you would give us the wisdom we need to interpret it. Father, I pray this morning for every person in this room that you would give them eyes to see, that you would give them ears to be able to hear, and that you would give them uh, um, ability to be able to understand and comprehend what is taking place. And Father, I pray that it would be clear. Father, I pray that, that, that it would not be foggy in the least. I pray that it would be absolutely clear what we are seeing here. And I pray that you would help us. Because Lord, you told us that you wanted us to see the things that must take place soon. So Father, I pray this morning that you would help your servants this morning to see this, to know it to understand it. And Father, I know that you gave it to us for that very reason. So help us this morning. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would just have His full control in this place this morning and that we would all leave here completely edified by you because of what your Spirit has done in our lives. Father, we ask you because you're the only one that can do this. So Father, we come to you asking you to do that this morning. And we trust you and we love you. Help us, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, hold your place right there in Daniel. But you'll remember that in our study through Revelation, my focus, or at least I've tried for my focus, not to be concentrated on all of the little details that are there. My focus has been to try to back out in our view far enough that you can just see the overview of this is what's going on. And so if we were in chapter 1, you just saw that chapter 1 is about this is the purpose of why Revelation is written. And then this is the vision of the glorified Jesus that is walking among His churches. And that's the overview of it. 
You could get in there and you could pick out all the little pieces and all the images and that's fine. I want you to do that. But that's not my goal as far as going through Revelation. My goal is to just back up far enough so that you have a view of this is what's happening in this book. And when you see the overview of it, my prayer is that you will go home and you will now read it yourself so that with that overview in mind, you can pick up the details and you can really search it and understand what's happening. If you were to go to chapter 2 and 3 in Revelation, you would find that the overview of it is... Remember in chapter 1, Jesus was walking among the churches, right? Number, uh, chapters 2 and 3 are the results of His inspection. And so He tells you that out of all the churches I walked, here is what I see in all the churches that are going on. Some have things they need to work on. Some are, think they're alive and they're dead. Some have um, idolatry going on and false teachings happening that they, that they have to do something about or I'm going to come and I'm going to remove this lampstand or this church. All through chapter 2 and 3 we get a very clear picture of this is the good qualities of a good church and these are the bad qualities of a bad church. And it is meant for you and I to be able to see it so that we could look at Revelations chapter 2 and 3 and inspect our own lives and know that while we may not be completely faithful, we can see the things that we may not have together just yet, and we can begin to work on those things, because by the time you get to chapter 4, where's the church? They're in heaven. And so chapter 2 and 3 is about this church age right now that you have the opportunity to do a self-judgment, a self-evaluation in the hopes of you are ready whenever He comes to call His church home with Him. And then when you get into chapter 4, you get to see the worship service of God and the throne room of God as God Almighty, sovereign God in all of His power is getting ready to unleash His wrath on all creation. And then when you get over into chapter 5, you see that God Almighty is sitting on the throne with a scroll in His hand. And that scroll is the title deed to the earth. That scroll has the contents of all that God is going to do to reclaim this creation that is supposed to be His, but it has been took over, if you will, by a, a usurper, by Satan himself in the Garden of Eden when he came in and he put it under a curse as he led it into sin. And now he's coming back to triumph over sin and he's coming back to reclaim it. But there has to be one worthy. There has to be one that has purchased it back. And you see the lamb in chapter 5 as though he had been slain. And he comes up and he takes the scroll from God the Father and he's fixing to unroll this thing. And now you're fixing to see the wrath of God and the lamb unleashed into all of creation. But before this happens, you need to understand that chapter 6 through chapter 19, I believe, is a seven-year period. Seven years for all of this stuff to take place. Now, Daniel is where we're going to get this from. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Remember, Daniel has been praying. And he knows because he's been reading Jeremiah. If you go back and read all of Daniel chapter 9, you'll see this. But Daniel has been reading in Jeremiah and he has seen where God said 
There's only going to be 70 years of this captivity. And, I, and he's, remember, why, you remember why he sent Israel into Babylonian captivity to begin with? Because of their sin, right? Because of their rebellion against him. And so they're being punished. The wrath of God is on them because of their sin. And now Daniel is coming back and he is begging God and he's praying God to remember the love that he has for Israel. I know it's been 70 years, but God, please don't forget us. Your word says this. Please remember your covenant. Please bring us back to the kingdom of God. Please forgive us of our sin. Make us right with you again. And then God answers his prayer by telling Daniel. He says, Daniel, I'm going to do it. In verse 24, 70 weeks of years have been decreed about your people. 70 weeks of years have been decreed about your people. In other words, 70 years, uh, 70 weeks of years have been marked out and cut out of history so that in those 70 weeks of years, you are going to have God accomplishing His purpose of delivering His people from sin, from the power of sin, atoning for their sin, and finally bringing them into the new Jerusalem, which is anointing the most holy place. And so you see all these purposes as you go through there. Look with me if you get again at the purpose in 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. So that's the first thing he says that's going to happen in these 70 weeks. To finish the transgression. He means I am going to bring sin under control. Right now, it just has its way. I'm going to finish the transgression. And I'm going to bring this under control. And then he says, I'm going to put an end to sin next. So I'm not just going to um, sacrifice an animal so that it covers it until your next sacrifice. I'm going to put an end to sin, period. I'm going to triumph over it in these 70 weeks. Next he says, I'm going to atone for iniquity. In other words, he means that he is going to make the payment so that the price has been paid, so that the iniquity no longer separates God from His people. This is not a temporary atonement. This is not a yearly thing. This is a once for all. I am going to atone for all iniquity. And then he goes on next and he says, I am also going to bring in everlasting righteousness. In this 70 weeks, I am going to bring you a righteousness that is everlasting. You will always be right with God Almighty in this everlasting righteousness. And then he says, I'm going to seal both vision and profit in these 70 weeks of years. And what he means by that is, I am going to fulfill... Every word that I have ever spoken, whether it be through visions or whether it be through the prophets that have spoken, there is not a single word that I have spoken that is not going to be brought to pass in these 70 weeks of years. All right? And then he goes on, he says the last thing, I'm going to anoint a most holy place. Literally, not only I'm not just going to bring you back to a temporary Jerusalem, I'm going to anoint a most holy place. I'm going to bring you back to a new Jerusalem, to a new city of God, to a heavenly city. One not built with hands, but built by God Almighty.
And so all of these purposes you have to keep in mind because all of these things are going to be fulfilled completely in these 70 weeks of years. Now let's do a little math real quick. If it's 70 weeks of years, and how many days are in a week? Seven. And so what do we have to do there? 70 times 7. 70 times 7 is 490 years. And so what God is telling Daniel here is that in 490 years, I am going to accomplish all of these things. Now, he doesn't say that it all takes place in one span. He just says that in 490 years, I am going to do all of this right here. And every word I've ever spoken is going to be accomplished. And then he goes on, and if you'll keep reading with me in verse 25, he says next, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, or another translation for that would read, to the coming of the Messiah. Literally, the Hebrew word that is used here, the original Hebrew says, to the coming of Messiah. Messiah is a word which we translate anointed one. And, but he wants you to understand that from the time that the word goes out that we are going to rebuild and restore Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, then this is the time period that we're going to be looking at. And so he says, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So let's take these two periods right here. What he wants you to understand is that from the time the Word of God goes out to restore Jerusalem back in Daniel's day. Now there were three decrees made in the book of Ezra for the city to be rebuilt. But all three of those decrees in Ezra were about rebuilding the temple, not Jerusalem. What he says here is from the time that the Word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That takes place in Nehemiah chapter 2. You can write that down if you want to go back and read it for yourself. But in Nehemiah chapter 2, somewhere around verses 1 through 10, 1 through 8 I believe it is, we see where Nehemiah comes and he stands before King Artaxerxes, I believe is how you say his name. And as he stands before him, he's... He's crying and the king says, Nehemiah, why are you crying? He said, because my city lies in ruins. Its walls have been burned down. The whole city is destroyed. But my God is telling me to go back and rebuild Jerusalem beginning with the walls. And so the king, under the inspiration of God and His Holy Spirit, gives Nehemiah permission in the year, the, the, what we know is that this king took reign in 465 B.C. Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us that this was in the 20th year of his reign. So we can take some years and you can count backwards. We also know that the first year of their accession was not counted. And so you can count back from 465 B.C. when he started and you can go back to 20 years of his reign and where you end up with, not counting the first year, is 444 B.C. because in B.C. the numbers are going toward zero, right? And so let's start in 444 B.C. And then what you're going to find out if you were to go to the book of John chapter 12. Again, if you're writing, write this down because I don't have time to go read it all to you. 
But in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 15 or something like that, what you have is the timeline of when Jesus enters as the King into Jerusalem. You remember Palm Sunday to where everybody was praising Him, declaring Him, Blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. And they literally declare Him as King as He enters into Jerusalem. And what you find out is that it was in the, in the month of Nisan, which was the Jewish first month. You ain't got to remember all these details. Here's what you got to know. It tells us that it was six days before Passover whenever He entered into Bethany. And then it tells us in John chapter 12 that He left Bethany to go toward Jerusalem on five days, on the next day, five days before Passover. We know that Passover falls on the 15th day of the month of Nisan. And if you go back five days from that, that puts you on the 10th day of Nisan, right? And so here's what you have. You have a timeline in the Bible that tells you this is when the decree went out to rebuild Jerusalem and this is when the Messiah came into Jerusalem. And we have that timeline. Now let's do some math again. Daniel chapter um, 9 verse 25. Know therefore and understand. Now remember, God wants us to know it and He wants us to understand it, right? Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, or the Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks of years. Seven times seven is what? Forty-nine years. Do you know how long it took them to build Jerusalem back? Forty-nine years. Exactly like Daniel told him. Exactly like God told Daniel right here. But then... To the timeline is from the time the Word goes out to build Jerusalem to the coming of anointed one. Then for 62 weeks. So then we have another period of 62 weeks. So if you do 62 times 7, you get 434. If you add 434 and 49 together, you get 483. Now how many weeks did we say it was total? 70 weeks of year, 70 times 7 is what? 490. 483 to 490, what's missing? Seven years are missing, right? Here's what you find out right here. In the 483 years, if you do the math on that, the Jewish calendar was 360 days a year, not 365. I could take you to Revelations chapter 11, Revelations chapter 12, and I can show you to where he tells you the same event and he puts both months and days together and when they match up, they match up as a 30-day month year. That's just the way their year was, is a 360-day year. If you do the math on that, here's the point. 483 Jewish years is 173,880 days total. If you do the math, and John MacArthur was one that I followed along with to see this math that was done. It was amazing to sit back and watch. But if you do the math from the month of Nisan, which is what Nehemiah chapter 2 tells us in, uh, the, when the Word went out, if you do the math from there, uh, 444 B.C., and you go all the way to 33 A.D., then what you end up with is that to the day, this is what you have. 483 years. God told Daniel from the very beginning 
that it's going to be 483 years from the time that... Remember, Daniel's praying for what? God, please bring us back to Jerusalem. Please forgive us of our sin. Please be merciful. Please put us back in relationship with you. And then God says, I'm going to. But it's going to take a little while. Because first, I'm going to have to have 490 years to where I provide an atonement for your iniquity. I put an end to sin. I finish the transgression. I atone uh, and I make I anoint a, a, a most holy place. I seal both vision and prophet and fulfill every word that I've ever spoken. It's going to take that. But in 483 years, I am going to both rebuild Jerusalem and bring you back, and then I'm going to send one, the Messiah, that is going to finish sin, that's going to put an end to it, that's going to atone for all iniquity. He is going to bring everlasting righteousness. He is going to fulfill every bit of this purpose in this timeline. But again, there are seven years that are missing. And so, if you'll go over with me to uh, verse um, 26 of Daniel 9. And after... The 62 weeks, or after the 49 plus the 62, 483 years, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, or a Messiah, shall be what? Anybody remember what happened after he entered Jerusalem? And the Messiah shall be cut off and shall have nothing. You know, they even cast lights for the robe that he had for the clothes that he had. He had absolutely nothing. But then it moves on because we got seven years missing here. And so we got to find these seven years. And here's what it says next in verse 26, the second part. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now remember, it's not talking at an anointed one here. We're not talking about the Messiah anymore. He's been cut off, right? But after this, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Who's he talking about here? Well, here's what we know. We know that after Christ died in the year A.D. 70, that the Romans rose up and Emperor Titus came in and he sacked Jerusalem, burned the temple, and completely destroyed the place, right? And so here's what he says. And the people of the prince who is to come. What many theologians believe here is this. There is an antichrist that is going to rise up in these last seven years of tribulation to complete the 490 years. And when this antichrist rises up, he is going to create absolute hell on earth for anyone that is here. And what they believe is that he is going to come up from the same group of people that destroyed Jerusalem after the Messiah was cut, up, cut off. So they believe that it is likely that the Antichrist is the prince who is going to come up out of this group of people, out of the Romans. They believe that it is the Roman Empire that is going to rise up in the last days because when we get into Revelations, you're going to read that when this Antichrist rises up, he rises up with an empire that appears to have a mortal wound. So in other words, they thought he was dead. But now he comes back to life. He's imitating the lamb. They thought he was dead, but now he comes back to life. And so this here is the Antichrist. 
Read it again. And the people of the prince who is to come. So it's talking about the people. The Romans shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the prince who is to come is the prince of these people. And so it is likely that he is going to be a Roman Jew of some kind. Then it says, Its end, or the end of the city, shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. To the very end there will be war. Desolations are decreed. This is decisive. It's already laid out. You can't do anything to change it. All you can do is sit back and know it, understand it, and watch it play out. Guys, let me tell you something. Here's one thing you need to learn from this morning's lesson. There is no hope in this world. You fight for it all you want. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be Christians and we shouldn't fight for the glory of God and we shouldn't fight for for things that are godly. I'm just saying, as far as this world is concerned, (laughs) there ain't no hope in it. It's coming to an end. Desolations are decreed. They are decisive. And then look at verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. What is one week of years? Remember we were at 483? So here's what we're waiting on. We're waiting on this Antichrist. We're waiting on this prince of the people who destroyed the city in AD 70. We're waiting on this guy to rise to power. And when this guy rises to power, the seven years begin. And he makes a covenant with many for seven years. And we're going to see how this thing plays out here in just a few minutes because you're going to see what it looks like when he comes on the scene and first makes this covenant and then how it goes downhill from there because look what happens. It says here, and for half of the week, what is half of a week of years? What's half of seven? Three and a half years. And so at three and a half years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now let me tell you what this lets us know. This lets us know that when this Antichrist rises, the temple is going to be rebuilt. It may be rebuilt before he comes to power. But he makes a covenant with many, not just Jews, but with many in the world. The world comes to see him as the greatest peacekeeper of anybody they've ever seen. And we'll see that when we get to Revelations here in a minute. But he rises to power and he tempts the world with peace. And it's a false peace. And then he makes a covenant with these Jews and he says, because right now, do you know that if the Jews get caught praying on the Temple Mount, do you know what happens to them? They get arrested and they get thrown in jail because it is under Islamic powers right now. And right now, they a few times a year let a few Jews come in, but they can't be caught praying. But they can come in and they can visit the Temple Mount But it is under Islamic powers right now. The Dome of the Rock is built on it. But right now there is a Jewish group that is trying to put together uh, on the Temple Mount plans to rebuild this temple. Now let me tell you, it's probably going to take war for that to take place, right? The people of Islam are not just going to let them come in and rebuild their temple on what they consider their holy ground. But what we see in this is that when this Antichrist rises to power, in three and a half years, he puts an end to all offering and all sacrifice. And so that lets us know that there is a temple at this time that will be built 
a third temple that will be raised up. And during this time, the Jews are freely able in at least the first three and a half years to go in and offer sacrifice and offer their offerings and worship God freely. He makes a covenant, a strong covenant with many. But then in three and a half years, for half of the week, He puts an end to sacrifice and offering. And then look what happens next. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Here's what happens. And we'll go back and over the next few weeks try to keep this in mind because you're going to see this play out. Alright? But here's what happens. After three and a half years, He puts a stop to all worship of anything except Himself. And now He is going to begin putting to death anyone that worships anything other than Him. Now He sets Himself up in the temple. If you were to go with me to um, look at uh, First Thessalon- or 2 Thessalonians, I'm sorry. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And look what this said, what Paul said about it. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come, talking about the day of the Lord when God comes back. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This is what Daniel is talking about when he says that there is an abomination that's going to take place that makes desolate the temple. And what he means is that this thing comes in on the wings of abominations is what God tells Daniel. In other words, he comes in there beginning with making desolation after desolate, abomination after abomination and doing horrific, appalling things. And then he gets to a point to where he finally raises himself up and says, You know what, world? I am God. And if you don't worship me, you die. And that's what begins to happen after three and a half years of this tribulation. And then again, finishing up in Daniel chapter 9, verse um, 27 again. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or seven years, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So at three and a half years, he stops the covenant that he made, with, especially with Israel here. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So in other words, there is a decreed end that's going to come. And as this guy grows more and more evil, and he exalts himself to the status of God, there is already a decree that has been put out that it's going to be poured out on him. And he's going to be stopped. He's going to be shut down. But all of this is going to take place in a seven-year period. And remember what Jesus said. Go with me in Matthew chapter 24. We're done with Daniel if you want to um, leave there. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Here's another tip you need to know. If you want to interpret Revelation chapter 6 through 19, Matthew chapter 24 is the key. It is the key that unlocks everything that you're reading about in Revelation chapter 6 especially. 
Matthew chapter 24, I want you to start reading with me in verse 15, and we're going to go through verse 22. Look what Jesus said. He's been talking to them about this seven-year period. He's been talking to them about this seven-year period, and then here's what He finally says. Because He's splitting this out. Now we're beginning the three and a half years have already taken place. He's already talked to them about the first three and a half years. Now He starts talking to them about the second three and a half years. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. You remember what the abomination of desolation was, right? The Antichrist has rose up, he has declared himself as God, and he has took his seat in the throne room of God, in the temple of God, and he has said, I'm God, worship me. And Jesus says, when you see that happen, when you see, now listen, if you're part of the church, before this, you're not going to see it. But it's good that you know it right now. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea or in Israel do what? Run. Run as fast as you can. Remember, he made a strong covenant with them, but then after three and a half years, he says, no more covenant. Put an end to it. Now you worship me or you die. And Jesus says, when you see this happen, run. Run as fast as you can run to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. It ain't worth it. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Leave it there. And alas for women who are pregnant. Pregnant women don't run very fast. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath if you're a Jew. For then, here's why, here's why you need to pray. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. What does that tell you about this tribulation period? You've never seen anything like it. The world has never seen anything like it. And the world will never see anything like this tribulation period. You keep that in mind when we read through this Revelation chapter 6 because church, listen to me. Guys, listen to me. You do not want to be here when this takes place. You want to make sure that you've been in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and you want to make sure that you've lined yourself up with the faithful church because it was only the faithful church, only the faithful church that He said... I am going to save you from the hour of great trial that is going to come upon the whole earth. Do you remember us reading about that? He said, because you have passed the first test, because you have been faithful through the trials right now, because you have proven that your faith in me is genuine right now, I am going to save you from this hour of trial. But it was only the faithful church, none of the other churches. It was only the faithful church that got this promise. And so you keep that in mind as you read through this. Let's keep reading through Matthew. This will be a to be continued for next week, no doubt. Verse 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, or the ones that God has already chosen to be saved, those days will be cut short. He's going to save a bunch of people through this time. 
These trials are going to lead a lot of people to the Lord. But let me tell you the sad part about it. Every one of them are going to be killed. During this time, you may become a Christian. But if you do, it will likely cost you your life. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the saved, if that were possible. See, I have told you beforehand, so if they say to you, Look, He is in the wilderness, don't go out. If they say, Look, He is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Here's what He's trying to say. Just like you look out and you see lightning that flashes across the sky and you know what it was. It's going to be no question when the Son of Man comes back. But it's going to be at the end of the seven years. And by the end of that seven years, there are going to be so many dead that look how he ends it in Matthew 24, 28. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And when you get to Revelation chapter 6 here in a minute and we go through these seals that he opens up, you're going to see that in one seal, a quarter of the whole earth is completely destroyed. A quarter of the whole earth is slayed. They are killed. But, and then you're going to see martyrs. You're going to see Christians that are, that are dead. The point being, you don't want to face this tribulation. Um, we'll stop right there. Alright, so... Go with me to Revelation chapter 6. Oh, and by the way, while you're turning there, um, Nathan, or Riley, do you have Matthew chapter 24, verse 36? He's following the same, same guideline right here, but look what he says right here. Remember about this seven-year period? Now, he gave us the timeline for the first 483 years, didn't he? I mean, to the day. He gave us the timeline in Daniel for the first 483 years. But the last seven years, here's what he tells you. It's going to be 490 years to atone for all of this, to bring Jerusalem back, to, to restore all people from sin that are going to be saved. But concerning that day and hour, what? This is something that God says, I'm not going to tell you when this is going to start. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son Himself, but only the Father knows it. This is the reason why when you go to Daniel, you get the 483 years laid out perfectly. But the last seven years, you only get a few of the details of what's going to take place, and you don't know the timeline of when it is. But it's 490 years total. Y'all with me? Who all did I lose already? Yeah, I, I know this is tough, but I promise you, as we go through Revelations, all these little bits and pieces are going to begin to make a little bit more sense. Here's what I love about this. The unity of the Bible. That whether you're in Nehemiah or whether you're in the Gospel of John, it fits together perfectly. Whether you're in Daniel or whether you're in Revelations, it fits together perfectly. Whether you're in Ezekiel or Exodus watching the vision of the throne room of God or you're in Revelation with John or caught up in the third heaven with Paul. It all fits together perfectly. And it's a beautiful thing to sit back and watch. Revelation chapter 6. We'll do the first seal 
and then we'll uh, pick up with the rest of the seals next week. Remember, the key is Matthew chapter 24 to interpreting this, and you're going to see that very clearly next week. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. The Lamb has taken the scroll. It has seven seals on it. Here's the picture of it. Remember in that day and time, a contract or a deed would have seals on it for all the witnesses that were witnessing to the right of the one that's opening it, that it belongs to Him. Jesus is standing here with the seven spirits of God that have been sent out into all the earth, the seven witnesses, and now He has this scroll and it is rolled up. And as it's rolled up, it's rolled, it's sealed. It's rolled, it's sealed. It's rolled, it's sealed. It's rolled and it's sealed. And it's seven seals in this thing. And now Jesus has this thing, the Lamb of God in His hand, and He's fixing to break the first seal. And when He breaks the first seal, the first part of the contents of how He's going to take this thing back, here they are. And so Romans chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. Now some people believe that this is Christ, but it can't be Christ because Christ don't come at the beginning. Christ comes at the end. Matter of fact, Jesus just told us in Matthew that if anyone says, There He is, what do you do? Don't believe it. But He also said there will be many false Christ that will come, that will be so convincing that if it were possible, even you, the elect, would be deceived. And so what you see here is you see the Antichrist rising up here in the first seal. And he comes on a white horse and its rider has a bow. But notice that even though he has a bow, what, is, what do you have to have with a bow for it to actually be a weapon? He has a bow, but no arrow. And he has a crown that was given to him. He didn't take this crown. The world gave it to him. And what you're going to find out is that this Antichrist rises to power and the way he comes to power is he is over a world government and the, he has convinced the world that he can conquer and that he can promote world peace. The seven-year tribulation is going to be welcomed in under the mask of world peace. You're going to look at it and you're going to say, Man, that sounds good. Man, I like this guy. Man, he's really got a good plan. I mean, this is, he, this is what we need. And this white horse comes and its rider on it has a bow but no arrows. And he has a crown, a Stephanos that was given to us, him a victor's crown. And he came out conquering and to conquer. But he didn't conquer with the arrows. He conquers with peace. But it's a false peace. And if you were to go to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus starts out by telling us this. Hold your place right there. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus tells us the same thing. Matthew 24, verse, uh, start in verse 3. Look what it says. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be. Jesus had just told them the temple is going to be destroyed. Remember what, what God told Daniel? The, print, the people of the prince that is to come is going to destroy the city. 
Well, Jesus told them the same thing. They were looking at the temple. And they told Jesus, they said, Jesus, look at this thing. Look how beautiful this temple is. And Jesus says, let me tell you all something. You see those buildings? There's not a stone that will be left on a stone here in just a little bit. It's going to all be destroyed. And they come in in verse 3 and they said, Tell us when these things will be. And tell us what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. What's going to be the signs of this? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And what you see right there is you see that this Antichrist comes to power, but when you read further into Revelation, he has a lot of many kingdoms in under him. And there are all these rulers that are coming up, that are raised up, and Jesus comes in and he says, Guys, listen, here's the first sign you need to understand. Don't be deceived by the rider on the white horse. The world's going to give him a crown. They're going to make him a ruler. They're going to raise Him up and they're going to love Him because of the peace that He promotes and because of who He is. But don't you be deceived. For many will come in My name saying, I am the Christ. But you don't believe them even though they lead many astray. Revelations chapter 6. You go back with me. Revelations chapter 6. Do the second seal real quick. Beginning in verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And another came out, another horse came out, bright red, color of blood, right? Its rider was permitted to do what? To do what? So, what does that tell you about the first seal? What was there? If he's taken peace, there was peace there. And so this Antichrist rises up with many rulers under him and he brings a false peace to the world. This is a peace that looks like it brings all the world together, a new world government, a new world order. And he's combining everything together and everybody's operating as one. And it looks like a beautiful thing. And Jesus said, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived because let me tell you what's coming next. There's a rider coming and he has been permitted to take peace away from the world. Now, if you keep going with me, look what it says next. So that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So here's who you see on the second horse. War. It looked like peace. But now all of a sudden you have world war that is taking place. Now go back with me to... um, And he's going to slay. People are going to slay one another. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 24 and look at verse 5. Or verse 6, the very next verse that we read. And you will hear of what? See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Here's what you're going to see. Throughout this entire tribulation period, Daniel gave you an idea of this Antichrist. And if you were to go back and read Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12, you can actually get a good picture of this Antichrist. If you go ahead in Revelations and read Revelations 13 and Revelations 14, you can get a very good picture of it. Or if you go back to Matthew chapter 24, you've got a key here that one at a time Jesus lays out for you the first three and a half years of tribulation. 
And then he ends the first three and a half and he says this. He says, these are but the beginning of birth pains. The first three and a half years, just the beginning of birth pains. How many women in here giving birth? Do you remember how the birth pains started? How do they start? Just a, just a little, little hurt, right? And then a little while later, another one comes along. And in a little while later, another one comes along. But as the birth gets closer, what happens? And here's what Jesus is making an analogy. He wants you to understand that the first three and a half years of this tribulation, just the beginning of birth pains. The last three and a half years of this tribulation, because what's, what are we giving birth to? The new Jerusalem that's coming, right? Jesus is coming. And that's what we're waiting on. But the birth pangs are going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's going to be such tribulation that the world has never seen it, nor will it ever see it. And this is all going to take place in the seven years. And it fulfills God's plan of 490 years so that He puts an end to sin. He finishes the transgression. He atones for all iniquity. He brings in everlasting righteousness. He seals both vision and prophet so that every word is fulfilled. And He anoints the holy place so that the kingdom of Israel can enter in when that day comes. But it won't come till the end of these seven years. We'll pick up next week and we'll see where it goes from here. Y'all stand. We'll have a quick time of invitation. <coughs> kind of weird to, to have an invitation on this, but... Um, not really, because here's what my hope is. The Apostle Paul said, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So it is my hope that as we go through this, that it stirs something in you that says, I want to be a part of the faithful church that doesn't have to see this, that doesn't have to face these things, that never has to experience the birth pains. And I pray that if that's you this morning and you've never confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not living for Him, you need to repent of your sin and turn, turn around, whatever it is this morning, I pray that before you leave that you would do that. No better time than now.